0: This is a no-holds-barred celebration of being alive. America WK, with your friend and mine, Andrew WK, on the Blaze
2: Radio Network. Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas! Welcome to the very special Christmas edition of America WK. This is Andrew WK wishing you a very happy holiday. Today, and in fact, every day, as we have discussed before on this program, why can't we use these holiday events to ingrain the holiday spirit into our very being perpetually? So I say, use this day to reaffirm the best things about the holidays and make them a daily mindset. Perhaps it's easier said than done, but I think we can extract and apply the good cheer from this time of year into life in general. And perhaps during these holidays, we recognize that these feelings are not related to just a certain time or a certain place or even a certain event or occurrence that we may be celebrating, that these are elemental aspects of goodness that we can find, recognize, and turn to every day, forever. And maybe that can be somewhat of a New Year's resolution, to not wait until a certain time or place to roll around, but to uh, have a resolution every day, to make every day a new year or at least a new beginning of some sort. There are some people that I've worked with who always wait until Monday before they begin some new effort, some new mindset, some new exercise plan, some new diet regime. They have to start on a Monday I understand the thinking there to a degree, some type of organization applied to a weekly schedule, this sense of Monday being a fresh start. Believe me, at the same time, no one is more familiar with procrastination than I am, and that can act as a blessing at times, but usually as some sort of self-imposed curse that perpetually holds you back from doing anything that you really want to do. Because you always find some excuse, some reason that maybe next week, or maybe next month, or next year, we'll try again. And maybe sometimes we make these resolutions just so over the top, so imposing, so intimidating, and seemingly so unsurmountable, insurmountable, that we can't even work up the courage to begin or approach them at all so let's make these resolutions a little more digestible a little more approachable a little less freaky like just to try and be better at living maybe in in no specific way maybe in no in in way in particular other than an across the board's effort To be a better person. That's something we've talked about pretty much in every episode of this show. But this is our first ever holiday episode. First ever Christmas episode. First ever New Year's time of the year. Since this show started back in May of 2015. And this is our 35th episode. I am 36 years old. And uh, we've done an episode of this show for almost every year that I have existed on this earth. But I'm very excited about today's episode because, uh, as I've told you before, this is my favorite time of the year, my favorite holiday. And I'm obsessed with Santa Claus. So I want to talk about that. One thing I realized, thinking about Santa Claus, is that Many of the ideas surrounding Santa's adventures on Christmas Eve into early Christmas morning play with some of the very same fears that I and many other children had, and some of which I even still have. But these fears find their resolution in Santa. For example... One thing that I was very frightened of, and my brother, my younger brother, was also very frightened of, that I remember him specifically bringing up in his younger years, ages maybe three, four, five years old, was the idea of burglars, robbers, people breaking into our home when we were there or when we weren't there. Invaders, aliens, some unknown outside element infiltrating into our safe space, our home, our bedrooms, our closets, underneath our beds, in the darkened corners just out of sight, some presence, malevolent presence, encroaching on our well-being, and perhaps taking some of our favorite things, our treasures, our most precious belongings. But then Santa Claus involves many of those same themes, but just flipped. He comes into the house, but he's welcomed. He sneaks in, usually down the chimney. But instead of taking away precious items, he comes bearing precious gifts and leaves them there. So I thought it was very interesting to examine how the Santa Claus legend or tradition, or myth, however you like to look at it, plays with these seemingly archetypal obsessions of a young child's mind. And maybe there's some kind of uh, comfort in the idea of an intruder who is not malevolent, a benevolent burglar in reverse. Someone who is not wearing all black, but it was wearing very bright colors, and again, someone who doesn't come to take anything from you but comes to give you toys or even in more basic terms to give you joy. I like that santa Santa's trademark vocalization is a laugh ho 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 and a laugh not because of something necessarily funny or humorous, but a laugh of unrestrained, unbridled, and perhaps even illogical joy, or a joy that transcends a need for logic, a joy that defies reason. The joy of existence, maybe like uh, almost a Buddha who just laughs at almost the absurdity, the transcendent joy of all joys, and again here we can draw another parallel: the jolliness of Santa Claus is very similar to the jolliness of a Buddha. The rotund belly, the cheerful rosy face, the contentedness that. Uh, Rises above the petty inconveniences and dramas that plague most of us common folk. These supernatural characters, like Santa, like a Buddha, like even Jesus, who are able to find and recognize a deeper, truer happiness that seems to reside inside and above all things. And if we can look at the world through their eyes, align ourselves with their perception, imagine for a moment what it would actually be like to be them, to live as they do, to have their clarity. Santa is my role model on many levels and there's so much to explore allegorically symbolically or just very literally when it comes to Santa Claus he makes people happy and perhaps the most precious of all people, of all humans children It's just the best thing ever Merry Christmas, this is the Christmas episode of America WK stay with me, I'll be right back America WK with Andrew
0: WK on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: This podcast brought to you by My Patriot Supply. Did you miss the chance to get a 72 hour emergency food supply with free shipping for just 10 bucks? What's wrong with you? Don't worry. Call 888-411-7440 right now. They have a few left, and they're selling out fast. 888-411-7440. What are you waiting for? A disaster? Do it right now. 888-411-7440.
0: Now, the king of partying himself, your friend and mine, Andrew W.K.,
2: Welcome back to the first ever Christmas edition of America WK. This is Andrew WK, and it's wonderful to be speaking with you today about Christmas and specifically about Santa Claus. Now, during that last break, I was trying to remember if I could access any memory at all of my first thoughts about Santa Claus. I have, unfortunately, no clear memory of being told for the first time about Santa. I don't necessarily remember any specific educational event, whether it was from my parents or from school or from friends or other family members or uh, from TV or culture. I don't remember any clear introduction to the phenomenon known as Santa Claus. As far as I remember, it was just always there. He was just always there. It's almost like I don't really remember, of course, someone introducing me to my parents. I was fortunate enough to be born to my parents and raised by my parents consistently. And so I just always remember them being there. They were there before I ever really formed memories at all. They were amongst, of course, the first memories That I formed. I imagine that any child's earliest thoughts and perceptions are of their mother and then probably their father and then maybe perhaps themselves after that. And somewhere around that probably came Santa Claus. Meaning, I don't remember a time in my life without Santa Claus, I don't remember some kind of void or vacated space that then Santa Claus filled. He was just always there. Now, I do, unfortunately, very clearly remember the first time anyone told me that Santa Claus, quote-unquote, wasn't real. Now, I don't even like to talk about this, for fear of someone overhearing it, most likely a young child, that in fact would uh, otherwise be better off not ever being told, at least not by me, any of the following. So consider that the biggest spoiler alert of all. But uh, even with that being said, I actually don't, believe that Santa Claus is not real. In fact, the longer that I have lived, the more real I think Santa Claus has become, at least to me, at least in the ways that matter most. And it is very interesting because there were so many aspects of Santa Claus that really, again, defied logic, defied my common sense went against everything that I otherwise understood about reality, about day-to-day life, and yet it never occurred to me that somehow that pointed towards a non-realness or some sort of fantasy element with Santa Claus. It's almost sort of like being hypnotized or being in some sort of trance There is a part of you that agrees to go along with this belief, with this trance. You choose to participate in this delusion, but perhaps it's not really a delusion at all. Or if it is, perhaps it isn't any less or more of a delusion, I should say, than many of the other parts of life that we think are quote-unquote real. And even if it is a delusion, what a great delusion to have. It only made my life better and happier and more joyful. And once that was torn away from me, when the rug was pulled out from underneath me, my life was not improved in any way. And I will recall now this moment. And it's actually quite sad because if someone had... uh, told me how the truth or the quote-unquote so-called truth about Santa would be revealed to me, I would never have imagined that it would have happened this way. I thought maybe it would have been an older kid or something I saw on TV, some kind of harsh awakening that was almost sort of a mistake or an accident or done with a sort of cruel intention, like a bully or something. But no, unfortunately not. With me, my very own grandmother. My dad's mom was the one who told me in the most casual way, or actually sort of asked me, well, she said, you know that Santa isn't real, don't you? Now, I believe I was probably seven years old. My brother would have been around three years old. And we were visiting in Wisconsin, where my father grew up, and my grandmother and uh, many other aunts and uncles and cousins were celebrating Christmas together. Now, this was a, a rare event for my family. My family did not actually spend that much time with our other immediate family members meaning other grandparents, cousins, aunts, and uncles, and other relatives, or even family friends.
0: A lot of that had
2: to do with geography. Most people that I uh, am close with, they happen to have most of their family all in one place, or at least within very short driving distances, meaning under an hour. So a lot of my friends, for example, who grew up in Michigan, most of their family still lives there. And every now and then, if I track someone down that I went to high school with, oftentimes I notice that they just are still there. They're still in the hometown in which they were born or at least lived most of their lives. They still live there now. They're raising their families there now. And they're still close with their parents and extended families that are all there. But my parents, uh, we grew up in Michigan, which isn't that far from Wisconsin, so we did make many road trips there, but I believe this was the only time that we ever spent Christmas there proper, uh, where we actually spent Christmas morning. And uh, there were all kinds of traditions that were a little bit different from how we did things at our house. Uh, for example, my dad grew up celebrating sort of the, uh, the 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 bulk of Christmas on Christmas Eve, meaning they did stockings and gift opening and the big Christmas dinner and all those sorts of things we did on Christmas morning and throughout the day, they did that on Christmas Eve, which in one way was very exciting because you kind of got a jump on the whole Christmas holiday. Uh, of course, I was very impatient in general at that age and would have, you know, definitely loved opening presents that much earlier. Although I think there was something kind of strange about it for me at that time, because uh, the anticipation of Christmas morning had a huge quality to it, a huge effect. Uh, This build-up, this tantalizing, almost torturous waiting all night where you can't fall asleep and then somehow magically you do and then you wake up and it's Christmas morning. I mean, that was such a huge part of the Christmas experience. So opening presents on Christmas Eve was definitely a, a change of pace. Anyway, during this Christmas in Wisconsin... Again, around seven years old. I was in the kitchen with my grandmother, and she was baking these Christmas cookies, which was a tradition uh, that she did every every year. I was thinking about how uh, extravagant these cookies were, actually. I can taste them now. It's America WK. Stay with me.
0: A party for being alive. This is America WK with Andrew WK. On the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. The Census Bureau says the number of women earning more
1: than their husband has gone up. It has gone up. Women are finally pulling their weight. Well, more are making more than their husband. Damn it! I wish they'd hurry up and pull their weight. No, this is just the continuing narrative that women don't get paid enough, don't get paid as much as men.
0: I mean, seventy-seven percent. The morning blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday morning, six to nine Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. This is America WK with Andrew WK, only on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Welcome back to America WK. Merry, merry, merry Christmas and happy holiday. I am Andrew WK. And so far in today's episode, we've really been going into Santa. I'm going to keep going with this because uh, it's one of my favorite things year-round. Before I get too ahead of myself there, let's finish up this rude awakening. Probably, the, you know, this was... I was thinking this must have been one of the first classic loss of innocence moments that I experienced in life. Certainly the first one that I really remember vividly. Uh, This was, again, I was age seven, uh, seven years old in Wisconsin with my grandmother and the rest of my father's family. Celebrating Christmas there, my grandmother had a tradition of baking a very extravagant array of Christmas cookies every year. Now, if we weren't actually in Wisconsin with her, she would send them in the mail. And uh, it was always sort of a bittersweet gift to get because the cookies actually were rather adult. And what I mean by that is many of the cookies (laughs) were made with a considerable amount of liqueurs included in the recipe now I did not know or really understand what that really meant or really was but there was liquor in these cookies and there were some cookies we were encouraged not to eat now I don't really see how it's possible that any of the alcohol could have actually been retained throughout the baking process but I think maybe there were some sort of cake like cookies that were very moist and maybe did somehow remain full of rum I think there was some kind of rum cake. Anyway, I didn't like the way it tasted anyhow, so I was not longing to eat these cookies that were reserved for adults. I fixated on the peanut butter and uh, chocolate Hershey's Kiss combo cookies. Those were very rich, very delicious. All the cookies were very buttery. uh, And there was really an extravagant array. I mean, this was probably the result of two or maybe even three days of of cookie making and candy making. She made a lot of the candy used in the cookies from scratch. It was very impressive. And uh, this Christmas, age seven, in Wisconsin, I got to help her with this baking process and watch, for the most part, as she went through the whole process. And my grandmother passed away recently. She was my last living grandparent on my dad's side or mom's side. She lived to be, gosh, 93 94 years old, which was very exciting, uh, very encouraging, very inspiring. And she remained uh, extraordinarily sentient, extraordinarily uh, witty and engaged all the way through and lived relatively independently. Uh, She was very fortunate to not really fall ill or be sick in a way that you know, interfered with her enjoyment of life. She, from up to the last time I saw her or spoke with her on the phone, sounded the same way that she did when I think back to this memory right now, all these years earlier. And at some point during this cookie-making process, I believe my brother was playing down by the Christmas tree, uh, sort of a couple rooms away. I was, again, in the kitchen helping with these cookies, and somehow, very casually, very quickly, the conversation turned to Santa. And my grandmother sort of asked at the same time as told me, you know that Santa isn't real. And of course, I didn't know that Santa wasn't real. And I was so shocked by the casual, nonchalant way she delivered this. It wasn't even a statement. It was more of a question, like a rhetorical question, sort of assuming that I already knew this. And I sort of played along because I I didn't really know how to react. I, I think tears welled up in my eyes, which I tried to suck back down. A lump welled up in the back of my throat that I tried to swallow back down. I felt a kind of panicked, embarrassed, flushed feeling. It was a very humiliating experience, which is strange. I don't know why I would have necessarily felt that way about being told this. I guess because maybe I felt silly for never realizing it beforehand. And I felt a bit embarrassed that my grandmother had assumed that I had figured out that Santa wasn't real. But I don't know if she had assumed that. I think she maybe just wasn't thinking much about it at all. Uh, She was sometimes a bit glib. In her delivery. Sometimes even a bit harsh. But not out of. A s- sort of cruelty. More out of a kind of aloofness. And I think that was the state of mind. In which she delivered this. Heavy blow. Of relevant truth. Or perhaps I should say. Subjective truth. And uh, it all washed over me. Very quickly. All the pieces of this Santa Claus puzzle were simultaneously put together and then shattered all the things over all the years from leaving cookies and milk and carrots to writing letters to going to take photos with Santa in the mall or the public photo outdoor space the idea of Santa fitting down the chimney. It all sort of clicked together in this completely depressing, horrifying, and again, innocent, shattering way. My innocence was, for the first time, exposed as innocence. I didn't even really know what that meant, but to have it taken in one fell swoop, and and again, in such a non-intended way, non-consequential way, I should say, in such a undramatic way it wasn't big some some big reveal it wasn't like she sat me down and said it's time for you to know that even though you love this idea of santa claus you're old enough now you're you're a big boy and you shouldn't necessarily be uh let along this lie any longer no it was just well you know that santa claus isn't real don't you And I could barely speak. I think uh, I kind of excused myself from the kitchen and the cookie-making process. I think I just had to go and sort of sit by myself for a while and process this revelation with horror and dismay and sadness. And a very strange new way of looking at the world began to unfold. Perhaps for the first time, this understanding that things may not be what they seem to be. That things may not be as they have been presented to me. That the best parts of life, like Santa Claus, might not be real at all. But And that maybe people that I really trusted and loved very much would tell me things that weren't necessarily true or real or even believable. It made me think, how how could I ever have believed in Santa Claus? I felt stupid. I felt afraid. I felt extraordinarily confused. And I felt very, very determined to not let my younger brother have Santa Claus taken from him that day. I think I went back and told my grandmother that my brother still believed in Santa Claus and made sure that She didn't tell him that. And of course, I told my mom and dad. I think My dad had also assumed that I knew that Santa wasn't real at that age. Maybe I was too old. I mean, maybe most kids at seven years old don't believe in Santa anymore. But what a way to find out. Although I don't know that there really would have been any pleasant way it was going to involve that same kind of cascading, crashing down of reality. That was a big moment. Things changed forever. It's one of the first times you lose something in life. It's America WK. Stay with me. This is America
0: WK. Hosted by Andrew WK. On the Blaze Radio Network. Jay
2: Severin. On the substance of the matter he wasn't in practical effect wrong in practical effect that's exactly what it is and how it is and how it's going to be if we have a policy to protect us and in any case though he didn't know it either
0: he was stating united states constitutional law jay severin weekdays 3 to 5 p.m eastern on the blaze radio network Show restoring your faith in humanity Through the power of positive partying This is America WK With Andrew WK
2: Welcome back to America WK Merry Christmas Happy Holiday I am Andrew WK Before the break I was talking about the Time my Late grandmother Told me casually in Passing almost As a question that didn't I know that Santa Claus wasn't real? Well, after I recovered somewhat from the sheer upset of that revelation, I was also really amazed at all the effort that my mom and dad had put in to representing Santa Claus. To realize that your parents are Santa Claus, was of course disappointing in one way, but was also incredible in a way. It wasn't that they were maintaining a lie to trick me, it was that they were Santa and how cool was it that my own parents were in fact Santa Claus. And all the efforts that they went to, the great lengths that they went to, were to make me happy, to make my brother and I happy and that as far as I'm concerned counts as being Santa Claus and I think all along again all along there were these inklings of understanding these glimpses of truth that of course the guy dressed up at Santa Claus at the shopping mall that can't be the real Santa Claus now I don't really remember Going into great analytical, critical thought and debating that or even really asking my mom much about that, I think there was an understanding that it wasn't the quote unquote Santa Claus. But I think within that, it started to become clear that there wasn't necessarily a one and only Santa Claus it hadn't really dawned on me yet that there was no Santa Claus. It's almost the opposite of that. It's almost that there's a, a, a surplus of Santa Claus. There's so much Santa Claus to go around that it's more than real. It's super real. To say that Santa Claus doesn't exist, it's almost uh, the exact opposite of that. Santa Claus exists so much that there are thousands or millions of Santa Clauses. There's a Santa Claus presence permeating every place all the time. And that's how I think of it now. Anyone who believes in the spirit of what Santa Claus represents gets to be part of being Santa Claus. Gets to be part of believing in those feelings. And that's all that Santa Claus needs to be. That's the beauty of it. So it doesn't really matter if there's this idea that it's all a lie because the best things about what Santa Claus is defy the very idea of true or false. It sort of exists in a space above and beyond that, beyond real or not real. Where it doesn't matter if this is an actual individual human being. It transcends that In the best way. And the feelings and the message and the truth of that experience of the joy of Santa is real. I was trying to remember the best Christmas gifts that I ever received, or even more specifically, trying to remember gifts I had asked Santa for or you know particularly wanted very badly if i ever actually got those i think i almost never did and it's it's strange to note that because out of all these mountains of gifts that i was lucky enough to receive over so many christmases and certainly th- there was a, a larger quantity when i was younger because the activity of opening gifts was so exciting and fun. My parents really tried to go for quantity over quality, even as far as wrapping sort of one gift in pieces in different boxes just to prolong and extend the joy of that that process. But the gifts that I do remember were gifts that, again, I, I didn't necessarily want or it wasn't, even that I didn't want them, I didn't know enough about them to even know that I did want them. And those were the gifts that it took a thoughtful parent to come up with. Uh, I remember very clearly wanting antique Donald Duck metal wind-up toys, of all things, and I was so sure that that's what I was going to get on this one particular Christmas where I was collecting at the time old comic books and things like that uh, or 1939 World's Fair memorabilia and specifically really thinking I was going to wake up and have some incredible example of that collectible under the tree. But uh, I I don't think I ever did. I don't think I ever got any of that stuff. I I had to save up my own money throughout the year and buy those things for myself. No, my Christmas presents were always much more carefully thought out by my parents, by Santa. It was never really anything that I had asked for. It was something that was even better. For example, uh, a keyboard. I got an electronic musical keyboard, a digital piano, a, s- a smaller one. But at the time, this was it was just overwhelmingly incredible. And in fact, I used the two keyboards that I got as gifts for years and years and years and years I even was using the, the same keyboard I got probably around 8 years old uh, you know, almost 12 years later living in New York City playing some of my first concerts I got my money's worth out of that or I got my parents money's worth out of that gift but I never asked for it that was just their own thinking those are sometimes the best gifts the ones you didn't even know you wanted America WK, stay with me.
0: This is America WK with Andrew WK, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Sex I
1: can't even tell you. I was, I was. I even did an interview for a, for a show over there that was taped. And they did not run it, and I think it was because I was so strident in my saying that Chattanooga was obviously terrorism, and anybody who claims to be a counterterrorism expert and says otherwise is either trying to curry favor with the administration and the Democrats and the left, or isn't a very good expert. Buck Sexton, weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network.
0: It's real. This is America WK with Andrew WK on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Welcome back to America WK. Happy holiday. Happy Christmas. Happy New Year. It's all a state of mind that we can make last and last and last. And it reconnects us to the past. And I'm thinking about past Christmases, I'm thinking about to childhood Christmases. And before the break there, I recalled that probably the most valuable, treasured and useful gift that I received was an electronic keyboard piano. Now, what was so great about this was not just that uh, it was a keyboard. I mean, we had a piano in the house, which of course also was a blessing. I took piano lessons starting at age five years old, and there was other kids in my group lessons that didn't have their own piano. So they went to friends' houses to practice on their piano or other students' or even to the teacher's house just to practice. So I felt very lucky to have an actual really good quality piano, beautiful Yamaha piano, acoustic piano. And then again, uh, one Christmas... I think probably around eight years old or so, I got my first electronic keyboard. And it was just incredible because it wasn't uh, full size, meaning it wasn't 88 keys. It was probably, I don't know, maybe it was 76 keys. But it was this uh, the fact that it had so many different sounds beyond the piano sound. I was just obsessed with that. I remember specifically being so excited that it had the sound of an oboe. Of all things, an oboe, a clarinet. It really had every sound that I could ever dream of, including sounds that don't even really have names, synthesizer sounds that are difficult to describe. They don't sound like any organic instrument, they sound like some sound out of your imagination. And in addition to that, this keyboard also had uh, sound effects. And I thought that was pretty much the coolest thing of all. It had the sound of glass breaking, a gunshot, a voice saying, ha, and a voice saying, yeah. It had uh, drum sounds, of course, a car horn. All of these I put to good use or at least use, perhaps questionable use, But the amount of hours I spent playing this keyboard and playing with this keyboard, I mean, you can really understand music as play when it's that fun. You're playing music, you are playing, playing, playing through life. That is perhaps the most important mindset that I've tried to hold on to and to think of life itself in a way As a precious toy. I think Santa. If we're looking at him. In a symbolic way. He gives toys. Not because toys are the best gift. Necessarily. But because to a child. A toy represents the best gift. That a child perhaps can think of. So Santa in his workshop. Would really make. Whatever is most treasured. And precious to a particular child. Toys, much like candy, just have a sort of uh, very primitive, desirable nature that all children seem to understand. And whatever toy in particular a child may want, it can fit into the category of toys in general. And the toys that seem, again, the most valuable, the most spectacular, are the ones that you can play with for Really, indefinitely. You can play an instrument forever and always discover something new about it. Always discover something about yourself through it. Always learn and expand your horizons through the act of engaging with this particular thing, this instrument, this tool of sound making, but of of even more so of, of discovery that somehow playing this instrument or playing in general reveals more of the world to you i think beyond uh, that keyboard gift the other best gift that my parents gave my brother and me was a uh, a, a kind of building block set a tubular almost pvc type pipe and joint building set called Omegals. Now, I'm not sure if Omegals are still in production, but these were relatively large yellow tubes that you would connect with these locking pins and, again, joints to build really all kinds of structures, almost kind of like scaffolding. Uh, look, I'm looking up Omegals here to see if they still have it. Oh, wow. Uh, maybe that wasn't the name. Oh, no, there it is. Yeah, there. well, there's a photo of them. But, of course, I'm seeing also there's a website, like a, a, a cam webcam site called Omagul. But I did see one photo of the toys here. I think I'm getting the name correct. Omagul's. Maybe yeah. it's spelled uh, O-M-G-A-L-S. Well, either way, this was an incredible construction toy. Now, this would be sort of a large scale version of something like uh, an erector set, or maybe even similar to Lincoln logs. There's something very appealing about being able to construct things. But these were large scale, so you could actually build real play structures that you could climb on, that you could go inside. That you could uh, use for a variety of different projects, so they weren't small. I mean, I think that was the most satisfying thing about this. I could use these Omegle building sets to build whole tunnels and build sort of games and 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 and, and playhouses of our own. They were not scale models. They were not these tiny little delicate things. These things were rough and tumble. They even had wheels. I mean, this was one of the greatest toys ever. I used these things. My brother and I built and played with these for years and years, probably far beyond the intended age range because they were so useful, so practical, so uh, applicable to such a diverse array of uses. And the, the number one thing that I probably used them for was building haunted houses, building what I would actually probably call fun houses, building sort of forts that were more than a fort because they had uh, interlocking cardboard box tunnels and hallways and crawl spaces that went on and on and on. And these Omogals came in very useful, very handy for building very elaborate play structures. I don't know how else to describe it, but at the time when I was building these fun houses, I did not want them to be considered play. I did not want them to be sort of just uh, a thing for kids. I wished, my dream was uh, that I wanted these fun houses to be real, like a professional operating fun house that you would find at a carnival or an amusement park. And this is something that actually I've, I've very rarely talked about for a variety of reasons, and I'm not going to go too much into detail here because of these same reasons. Sometimes your deepest, most personal dreams are best kept inside, and not in a way to restrain them, not as a way to keep them from manifesting, but somehow as a way of protecting them a way to make sure that they have a chance to be incubated, to be nurtured, and to not be destroyed. Sometimes holding something inside of you actually increases the chance of it manifesting outside you. And there are many dreams that I have. People often ask me, what are things that you want to do that you haven't gotten to do in life yet? Well, I keep those things to myself, and uh, I don't hold—I don't think less of anybody who chooses to talk about them or tell other people about them or or do lots of outward presentations involving their dreams. Uh, but it's something to think about. Whatever you do, definitely cherish and hold those close, whether you keep them private or not. This is the Christmas edition of America WK. Stay with me. Don't go away. America WK
0: with your host, Andrew WK, on the Blaze Radio Network. Coming up today on Pat and Stew. Extreme weather kills ninety-eight uh-huh. percent less people now than it did like sixty years ago. Ninety-eight percent. Okay, but what about the pollutant CO two, which is uh, toxic? It's, uh, well, waste. It's, first of all, it's not toxic waste. It Kills people. Um, it's not a dead. Kills but, them dead, and it does not kill people dead. Um, Ask the EPA if it's pollutant or not. Pat and Stew. weekdays at five PM Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. The Undisputed King of Partying invites you to a no-holds-barred celebration of being alive. This is America WK with Andrew
2: WK. Welcome back to America WK. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays, Happy Everything. I am Andrew WK. We've been talking about Santa Claus. We've been talking about gifts. I just wanted to sum up what we went over on those last few segments. With this idea that out of all the presents that I hoped for, that I pined over, that I obsessed on and really wanted, I don't think I got any of them. And if I did, I don't really remember. I got tons of gifts over all these years, but the ones that I really hold on to in terms of memories, that I have dozens if not hundreds of memories of playing with were gifts that weren't even really a particular thing. They were more a tool. They were a means to do something with uh, paint sets, uh, colored pencil and colored marker sets, a uh, drafting table. Uh, as I said, these building materials to build sort of play structures, uh, electronic music keyboard that I could record with and make up my own songs, Really, tools, toys that were tools, gifts that were a means to an end. And even that end in itself was sort of a means to another end. A means to a means. Things that you could do for the joy of doing it. It wasn't an object that you just put on a shelf and look at or play with from time to time. These gifts unleashed an entire world an entire series of activities that kind of uh, exponentially grew. The more you learned how to use these particular building tools, the more you realized you could do with them. And that's just the greatest kinds of gifts of all. Because it wasn't even sort of what you learned how to build, it was what you learned your mind was capable of doing. You learned, wow, I can actually entertain myself just by doing stuff. I don't really have to get anything from it or out of it except the pleasure of being engaged in something. That you could spend a lot of time by yourself or with one or two people completely devoted and engrossed in a particular pursuit that didn't necessarily offer any end result or any particular fruits in fact once you finish the project you might com- just tear the whole thing apart and start building something again knowing that the joy was in the building the joy was in the exploring of your capacities in learning how to do something new I mean, I, I, for example, making music, I would enjoy the actual process of recording certainly much more than having a finished song. The finished song was almost kind of painful. Getting a finished song almost sort of hurts. I'd much rather just keep working on that song forever. And there was many times, there's been many times up until today, up until very recently, where I have to catch myself in the recording process and use some kind of uh, discipline, some kind of rigorous discipline to stop myself from recording the same part over and over and over again forever just because I enjoy doing it so much. I wasn't recording the part to get it on tape. I was recording the part because I loved the act of recording that part. And so even when I got a good take and could have moved on onto a different take or record a different part or work on some other aspect of the song, I'd rather just say, no, let's do it again. Maybe I can make it better. But it really wasn't to make it better. It was just because there's so much pleasure in the act of recording. And I think that can be a a headspace not only for the holidays, but for all the time to recognize those areas in our life that are good unto themselves. Activities which are so pleasurable that they don't need to go anywhere. They don't need to get us anything. They don't need to result in any particular end result at all. They can just be what they are. And what we can get out of that, out of the enjoyment, is the whole point anyway. It's so strange how much effort we put into getting some place, getting something, getting some result with the hopes that that result or that thing or that place will then bring us satisfaction bring us contentment bring us pleasure bring us joy bring us some kind of meaning but what if you fo- what if you already find that in the act of trying to get there this is quickly descending into babble i apologize but i think there's something about for example, the, the, the joy of the holiday spirit isn't in getting things or even in the giving. It's in the entire phenomenon. It's in the entire atmosphere. It's in the whole surrounding sensation of the holiday spirit. Not in the particular toy Not in a particular gift, but in the entire feeling. Just like sometimes the great pleasure of being in the kitchen, cooking a meal is even more soul satisfying than when the meal is served and eaten and done. The memories I have of the best meals I've ever enjoyed really didn't involve The eating of the food, I don't have that many memories of putting the food in my mouth or what it tasted like necessarily. I mean, there's brief moments of great meals, but I much more clearly recall the times preparing the meal, the cozy feeling in the kitchen, the activity, the multiple dishes cooking and prepared in their different ways, the action, the energy, the laughs the sense of, of busyness, the sense of of people doing things together in that kitchen. That's a very hard feeling to create unless you're really actively engaged in some sort of project like that. But it's kind of like decorating the Christmas tree. Of course, the tree looks beautiful once it's all decorated, all the lights are on, and you turn it on and you admire the results of your Labor, But the whole process is enjoyable, perhaps even more enjoyable than that final decorated tree, going and picking out the tree, getting the tree back home and into the house. I have many memories of really wrestling with these big, real live trees, or I guess recently deceased trees, having been just cut down days earlier. Getting it into the house somehow, having to cut it down a little bit shorter if it was too tall and touching the ceiling, you know, maybe slight tense moments of awkwardness, physically stumbling with this tree, putting on the Christmas music, pulling out the ornaments, looking through all the old ornaments, remembering all the times and years when certain ornaments were gotten or just the last time I had seen them. That was all part of decorating the tree that was the joy of that moment not the final tree there's almost something sort of melancholy and bittersweet about finishing that process i want to extend all these moments it's america wk stay with me a party for being alive
0: this is america wk with andrew wk on the blaze radio network Don't miss the Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. You've got people that are forced into prostitution and all that, but you know some people, I'm sure,
1: have started. I've seen the little reality shows, and they make it sound glamorous. You're going to work at the Bunny Ranch, or you're going to be a I'm call be girl, escort. escort, whatever. I don't think anybody thinks, you know, someday I may be turning tricks in the parking lot of the Home Depot at three o'clock in the, in the afternoon in Allentown,
0: PA. The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip, weekday morning, six to nine Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to America WK with Andrew WK.
2: Welcome back to America WK, the holiday edition. Merry Christmas to you. Happy holidays. Just thinking back over all the past Christmases that I can remember, and of course, most of them blur into some sort of hazy, foggy, slightly cozy, slightly stressful, but all an all good jumbo Christmas memory. I, very, I really can't separate the Christmases. And maybe that's the whole point of traditions. You can't separate them. It's all one big experience that happens. It's like a spiral. I think we've talked about how time seems to pass from left to right, but With these touchstone moments, like holidays, like rituals that we return to every year, it creates a moment of doubling back on itself, yet still moving forward. So if something is doubling back or reconnecting or passing by a familiar spot again and again, like the seasons, like holidays, like even days of the week, there's a spiraling And so, all those Christmases that cross over each other each time the year spirals back, circles back to this particular event, it's like one big Christmas happening in the past and happening in the present and happening in the future. One giant Christmas delight. And I would love to be able to revel in that Christmas spirit whenever I want it. And it is through these particular kinds of memories, and not even memories actually, more these textures, these visceral feelings, these realities that are stored up inside of us, stored up in the thoughts, but not memories in terms of thinking back, because it doesn't feel like thinking back. It feels like thinking in, if that makes any sense. Not like we're returning to the past, but that we're going deeper into ourselves where all of this is still happening. Where it's, it's still one solid event occurring right now. And maybe it is. And maybe that's why traditions feel the way that they do. Because they never stopped. They never ended. It wasn't a one-time thing. It's resonating in every direction forever. And when we decide to repeat an event, it reminds us that it's always been happening. I definitely would like to be able to stretch out more moments in life. You can tell. You can tell sometimes. It's 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 very interesting when you can tell that you're experiencing an event, and it can oftentimes it, it it will be the most inconsequential thing. You can just tell as it's happening, for some reason or another, this is one of those moments that's going to stay burned in my mind. And, and and again, more than a memory, it's going to be more than a memory because. It occupies so much space or such a particular f- space in your, in, your, in, your, in, your, in your very self that it's always there. It's not something that you're thinking back to. It's something that just keeps happening. I don't know how to explain this exactly. I mean, it could be walking down the sidewalk at some point. It could be something that someone said. It could be a certain moment in a movie. It could be a certain moment... In a store, or or driving down the road, it doesn't have to be some magnificent, uh, dramatic event. It can be something very small, very particular, but very subtle. And there's those times when, as it's happening, you can say, "Oh, this is going to be one of those feelings. I can already tell this is going to be one of those times. This is this is the time of my life." And it just hits you. And you don't know why. You can't explain to someone why that moment has this significance that stays with you. That that you realize that every other moment that comes after that is going to somehow bounce or have to reckon with this particular little event. I mean, I say things uh, to my, my parents all the time. That they said to me or an event that we shared together or some just part of life that they didn't necessarily remember or recall. They can't believe that I remembered it. And I don't know why I I remembered. it. It's not something very significant. It really had no lasting impact in a way that seemed to determine the direction of any of our lives. And yet I'm very thankful for it because it's proof to me that that part of my life did happen that that part of our life happened i mean you hope to get as much out of life as you can that it's actually graspable retainable it's flying by you want it all to stay there i mean does that make sense I think that's what holidays are for, to make life feel like it's staying put, to have something to rely on, something to count on, some part of yourself that doesn't change, some part of your life that doesn't go away, that you can count on returning. And maybe everything that is around that then has a little better of a chance Of staying or returning as well in that spiral or maybe not maybe it's all flying by and there's no hope of holding on to any of it and maybe that's okay too I've talked to people who don't like remembering I've talked to people that perhaps almost have had traumatic relationships with memory and have intentionally not wanted to remember their life. I feel very bad for them. They seem to only be able to exist in the present moment in a way. And that's always presented as this very desirable state of mind. Just live in the present moment. Be in the present moment. I don't know how that's even possible after a certain point. I mean, I think you're always... Now, everything's always happening now, but memories can happen now too. And thoughts about the future are also happening now. It's all happening now. I think just an an incredible awareness and excitement and realization, Uh, a really honest acceptance of, of your own existence happening that's the closest you can get to being in the present moment because uh as i believe george carlin once said how do you do that otherwise how do you stay in the present moment he would say oh okay is this a present nope now wait there it went now it's the past oh wait okay it's coming up it's it's in the future and now it's here we're in the present oh no now it's in the past again And of course, that seems to be a very accurate description of what it feels like for time to be passing. And the only way to uh, interpret it otherwise is that it's not passing at all. And it's all just been one gigantic solid now. The entire time. I'm certainly glad that now is the time I'm getting to speak with you. Happy holidays. Stay with me.
0: This is America WK, featuring Andrew WK, only on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Jay Severin. It's everything that makes us essentially American prosecute speech america's attorney general is going to prosecute speech not only is that headline proof that we're in a kind of war that's proof that the damage they're already doing to us is existential
0: jay severin weekdays 3 to 5 p.m eastern on the blaze radio network only radio show restoring your faith in humanity through the power of positive partying this is america wk with andrew
2: wk welcome back america wk merry christmas and happy holiday my name is andrew wk and as always it has been a sincere pleasure being with you today going in not very deep but deep enough into the holiday spirit, into Christmas, talking about the idea of Santa Claus, talking about gifts, toys, and play. You know, one thing for the adults in the world, what can Christmas be for us? You know, there's this old saying, I believe it's perhaps even a biblical quote, of some sort that more or less says there comes a time to set aside childish things. And while that may be true, I think there also comes a time to cling to childlike things. And I think that Christmas can be a time for us all to reconnect with the childlike parts of ourselves, and nurture them, protect them, keep them whole, and stay close and familiar with that part of ourselves. I think there's a big difference between being childish and being childlike. In fact, some of the best things about human beings at all, in terms of imagination, in terms of hope, in terms of vision, in terms of excitement, In terms of honesty, in terms of appreciation for beauty, purity, I can go on and on. These are all childlike qualities. And what's even more beautiful is the fact that these qualities seem to emerge naturally from the child, that they are inherently part of the child's view of the world and of themselves, that they didn't have to be taught these qualities or have to learn them, but that they were dormant within them from birth and revealed themselves as the child developed on their own if anything the child is taught to lose these qualities or to compromise these qualities or that somehow these qualities are signs of weakness or underdevelopment or ignorance or just stupidity in general when in fact they are all signs of a very particular type of emotional and even spiritual intelligence. For many of us, we spend a lot of our adult life trying to scrape back whatever little bits and pieces we can of that noble yet very innocent childlike intelligence. The best of us hopefully never lose it at all. And never are put in a position where we feel we have to sacrifice that part of ourselves to attain something else. Because whatever we would attain would never ever be worth the sacrifice of that part of ourselves. So let the holidays, let Christmas, be a time that we give that part of ourselves back to ourselves. And let us recognize those qualities in the children around us and be inspired by them. And again, not in some sort of Sentimental way or melodramatic way, but in a very plain and true way, a way that realizes that the best parts of ourselves were always there and are probably still there, perhaps buried or obscured by other aspects of our personality that have been put upon us or that we felt necessary to bring to the forefront in order to compete in what we think of as a very demanding and intense world. And maybe it is a very demanding and intense world. But all the more reason that we need to protect and fight for that child inside of us all. That's the best thing we can do as adults, I think, is use the strength, use the powers that an adult has to protect children. And not just the children around us, not just the children in our families, the children in our cities and towns and the globe at large, but the children that we still are. I always thought that becoming an adult was the greatest thing because then you could do all the stuff that you really wanted to do as a kid. And actually have the ability to do it, have the physical strength, have the legal right, have the officialness that comes with adulthood. This incredible way that you count in the world. That this was the time now that all the things that you really loved as a child could actually be put into practice. And actually count in the adult world. Becoming an adult is like becoming a super child. And maybe that's what Santa Claus is. More than anything else. Maybe Santa Claus is a super child. He certainly isn't like any regular adult. That we usually would think of as a grown up. And he certainly isn't like any child. He is between. He's in that liminal state, that special area that is neither one thing or another. And maybe that's where the magic of Santa Claus emerges from. That open space of possibility. I hope to find you there, wherever we may cross paths. I wish you joy and peace and comfort and coziness and all the good feelings that I can think of. Happy, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and a joyful new year to you. I love you. Take good
0: care. This is America WK with Andrew WK. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.